Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club Podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? I have a special guest with us on uh, with us today, Dr. Rebecca Thomas, who is an iridologist. She's a naturopath. She has a PhD in nutritional counseling, um, and I want to give you a little background about how I came to know about her. So, I have a friend here in Sonora. About three years ago, she told me of this woman that she went to see in Midland, Odessa, which is about two to three hours from where I am, still considered the West Texas area, and that um, she was a naturopath and that she used iridology as part of her practice. I had never heard of this, and so um, my friend was explaining how she would look into your eyes and then essentially get a, a, a kind of a health assessment looking at your eyeballs <laughs> and I was like what I have never heard of this of course my my holistic loving heart was immediately fascinated and I wanted to know more um, and so it took me a while I put that on my radar when I first heard about it and then as I do many things and um, and then just here recently my friends mentioned her again and she, you know Dr. Rebecca had found something in my friend that was missed by conventional doctors. And so she was very near and dear to my friend's heart, my friend Wheelis. And um, so we were talking about it again recently. And I thought, you know what? I have just got to make an appointment, like take the day, make an appointment, drive to Midland, and I'm gonna do this. And so that's what I did in November. I made an appointment with Dr. Rebecca, went to see her, incredibly fascinating. She, we're gonna talk all about it today, but she could tell by looking into my eyes um, taking pictures of my eyes and then assessing what she saw there, she could tell that I used to be very constipated. I've shared that a lot here, but she could tell that. She could tell I had overcome it. She could tell I had overcome leaky gut. Um, she found that I had a stagnant lymph, lymphatic system. She said my lungs look good and strong. I mean, just so many interesting, uh, right on the target um, things about my health that was just so jaw-dropping to me. I was just so fascinated by this whole process, and I knew that you would be too. And so I asked her to please come on the podcast and share more about this holistic health practice um, and what's involved. And so she is here today. I'm so grateful. Welcome, Dr. Rebecca Thomas, to the Christian Health Club podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. I love being here with you. Oh, I am so excited for the listeners to understand more about this practice. Like I said, I had never heard of it, and I feel like I am fairly well exposed to a lot of holistic practices. You know, I may not know a lot about them, but at least exposed to what they are. This was completely new to me. And um, let's start, could you just please start by telling us your background, you know, um, what you do, how you came to incorporate this into your practice? Well, this is uh, starting way back, but my father was a vegetarian, and I never heard that word growing up, but I knew that he ate differently, and as a, you know, as a result, we all in the family ate differently, but we had very little meat. It was mostly garden foods. We ate pinto beans, peanut butter. We had all kind of nuts, greens, the whole thing. But he never, he would not eat chicken. He didn't want eggs. He did eat cheese. That was the only thing that wasn't totally vegan. But it wasn't a philosophy particularly. It's just the way he had always done. And as I grew up, I realized that we had few of the health problems in the people around us. Very little. 
In fact, my mother and dad lived to be really old, and it was, you know, a good, healthy lifestyle. Now, as I got older, I was interested in diet because of that, and I began to study natural healing because that's really where the nutritional information is. There is a huge wealth of information on nutrition in the medical world, but they really don't access it and use it very much. It's an unusual doctor that does. So I went into natural healing to study nutrition. And as I got into that and realized how important it was, I went into a naturopathic degree to be a naturopath, and one of the segments was iridology. And I really didn't think I would be interested in it because I was much more interested in nutrition. But I had to do this course to graduate. So at the end, I thought, well, this is the last one. I'll you know, have my degree after this. Well, when I got into iridology, it was so amazing because it answered all of the questions I had had about how to work with an individual. If you sit down in front of someone and listen to their problems, you can go by what they're telling you. But if you had some genetic information, and if you could see how each of the body systems related to the others, whether it was supportive or if it was holding them back, if you could see the old injuries, the old tendencies, the way the diet had affected them years ago, it would give you a complete picture. And with iridology, you've got that. It can show you all the underlying causes for the problems they've had, and also what runs in the family, not that they will necessarily have that, but the possibilities are there that they tend to one thing or another. And by looking at all of these factors with iridology, you can see a characteristic for that person. The blood tests and all the tests that the medical world does is wonderful. They're all wonderful. But they're not specific enough in many cases. They don't have the, the, the fine detail that you need. If you fall into a normal range, you're considered normal. But for many people, it's not normal. They don't feel well, and they still fall into a normal range. But with iridology, it's all about that person. You don't have to take into account the rest of the world. You see that person's individual physical makeup, plus you also see how the emotions are affecting their health, how the, the spiritual side of them may be affecting their health, and it's, a, it's an incredible study. It is so fascinating. I, so you told me a little bit of the history. I mean, I, my, my first thought is, who in the world is the first person that made this correlation? Because we'll get into this more, but as you're, you're looking and you're studying the eye, you're looking at the different lines and, mm -hmm. um, and being able to tell from that, I'm like, who is the first person that figured out this line, you know, correlates to the gallbladder? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is just know. so, how did that I... even happen? But can you give us a little history of the iridology? Yes, now iridology and sclerology, which is the study of the white of the eyes, we have indications that they have been known and used somewhat for about 4,000 years. The Chinese, the people in India, all over the world. But it's really only been studied in a real definite way in about a, the last 150 years. Iridology has a chart that shows the right eye and the left eye. And each of those, each side is broken down into little pie-shaped wedges, little pie slices. It took 150 years to find that the brain, which runs the body, it's the computer that runs the body, the brain records information in a specific place in the iris relating to that part of the body. And little by little, over 150 years, they'd find someone who was ill with, say, gallbladder problems. It always showed about 8 o'clock, if you're looking at the chart, on the right eye. 
it always showed there. So they made a mark, okay, there's the gallbladder. And then they would discover from that there was a, a pancreas close to that, there was the liver close to that. But it was trial and error, little by little, they discovered this. And now, iridology is well accepted and it's taught in the medical schools of most of the world. The European countries, uh, Korea, the Korean, Korean medical doctors use iridology. The Russian medical doctors use iridology. It's really not a fringe type of thing like we think of it in, a, in the United States because it is outside of the medical world, but it's very much a part of the medical world in many parts of the world. Mm -hmm. Now, there, so there is a difference between iridology and sclerology. So the, the iridology are the irises and the sclerology are the, the white part of the eye. Is that correct? Yes, the, the sclera is the white part of the eye. And this study actually had been going on in the American Indians for we don't know how long. But a man named Dr. Wheelwright was in the 70s, was in Ohio near the, the Nez Perce and the Blackfoot Indians. And he saw that their medicine men were looking at the people's eyes. Well, Dr. Wheelwright was an iridologist. And he thought, oh, they're studying iridology. So he had them tell him what they were doing. But they said, no, no, they were looking at the red lines in the white of the eye. Well, what's interesting is that iridology chart in the iris extends out into the white of the eye. It doesn't stop at the edge of the iris. And when you look at the red lines adjacent to that area, for example, at 8 o'clock in the right eye, that was the gallbladder, if you look further out into the white of the eye, it gives you the fine detail. Are there stones? Is it sludge? Is it just congestion of the bile has gotten thick? Is there an inflammation? Is there a lack of function? That's all in the sclera. That's so, fascinating. So do, do all, so not all iridologists practice sclerology or how does that work? Well, they haven't in the past, but now our main iridology organization, which is the International Iridology Practitioners Association. It's IIPA. It's the largest organization in the world, and they monitor and make sure everybody's teaching the right, new, accurate information. But they have begun now to recognize sclerology and include it in their beliefs and in their teaching. Now, IPA, I-I-R-A, I-I-P-A, I'm sorry, also has a listing of certified iridologists all over the world and their contact information. So if someone wanted to find an iridologist, that's how they would do it, the International Iridology Practitioners Association. But yes, it's harder to find at this point, and soon all iridologists will be sclerologists too. But at this point, we have people like me that do both and some that are purely iridologists. Okay. And we've had some that were pure, purely sclerologists. But so now it is coming together. So the, the iridology really um, came from more, well, not necessarily just the European countries, I mean, the Asian countries and such, but, but the sclerology was discovered uh, the usage of it by the, the Native Americans here. Is that correct? Yes, that's wow. right. That is so now, neat. Isn't that wonderful? Because yes. we've learned so much from the Europeans. Now we can teach them the rest <laughs> of the story. I love that. You know, we can all share our information. I love that too. Well, why would somebody, so just, you know, this is going to be new hearing this to some to a lot of the people listening, why would somebody want to um, to use iridology or sclerology as part of their health care? Well, because it gives you a picture of what's going on in your body in a 
very quick manner. I mean, it may take five minutes to take the photographs. It's non-invasive, no blood drawn, nothing scary. And it gives you such a wealth of information. You can see what the genetics are. You can also see what is becoming a problem. Now, iridology and sclerology are, I, get, I would say, 85 to 90% accurate. I think any inaccuracies are our lack of research that is constantly going on. It's still growing. But it's highly accurate as far as telling you exactly what's going on in your body and giving you information that it would be very hard to get in medical tests just simply because as good and wonderful as the tests are, they're not accurate down to what is right for this one individual, and iridology is. So when somebody comes to see, and I know my experience, we're going to talk about some of the things that you found with me, but um, kind of explain what the process is when somebody comes in to see you. Okay, I have them fill out a page, and all it is is their name and address, and any medicines that they take daily, simply because I don't want to interfere with anything, and natural healing usually doesn't interfere with medication, but there are a few things that I really do watch out for. And as, as we sit and talk, I ask them how they eat, what they have in the morning, what they have at noon, what they have at night, what they drink all day, what time do they get up and what time do they eat their first meal, and I get some information about diet. I take the photographs, which is a simple thing, and download them to my computer, and then we go over, the client and I each, sit down and look at these pictures, and I describe and show them what it all means. I want them to see, these are your eyes, and these are the markings, and this is the information that it's giving you. Now, usually people will have a problem that they came for, this, this one thing. Maybe it's infertility. Maybe it's constipation. Maybe it's headaches. It can be anything, just about anything. But just looking at the pictures will usually show us exactly what's going on. And we can say, well, the headaches are coming from your neck. Your neck is out of alignment. Or the headaches are coming from a a platelet aggregation that could be causing migraines or hormone imbalances. With uh, any situation in the body, there will be an underlying cause. And if you can see what this is, and it's so clear in iridology, it gives the person the tool to change that thing. And not only do they lose the symptom, but they also improve their health in a hundred other ways just by changing that one factor. Yeah, I thought it was fascinating that you could see genetic tendencies. You could see whether or not they were, uh, I was susceptible or, pl or pl those were pl you know, in coming into play for me presently. Um, it, that was very fascinating. Oh, and so, Tell, tell them how one eye represents one parent and one eye represents the other. Well, in 97% of the people, the right eye shows your dad's genetic information and the left eye shows your mom's. So looking at the right eye, the left eye, the right eye shows the right side of the body also and the, the left eye shows the left side of the body. But we can see the genetic pattern. And if you'll look at your eye up close, if someone is just curious about this, take a really up close picture of one of your irises with your phone camera. Look at that. There's a pattern of little leaf shapes sometimes, or there'll be a, a scattering of dots, different colors, or it can be a really smooth texture of fibers. Now, anywhere there's a leaf shape, there's a genetic weakness in the family on that side. It could be thyroid, gallbladder, it could be kidneys, anything. 
There are four layers of fibers that make up the iris, and we're looking at brain tissue. I think that's so amazing. But if the top layer of fibers makes this little leaf shape, it's a genetic weakness, but this person hasn't developed it. If the leaf shape penetrates down into several layers, more than one layer, then there's a possibility that that's developing. Now that's the way we look at iridology, but the sclerology then would give us even more detail about how far along has this gotten, that it's become a problem for you or it's becoming a problem. Hmm. But that's, that's the easiest way I can describe it. The pattern is a genetic pattern. If you have an iridology chart and they're all over the internet, you can see what exactly is weak just with that one picture of your eyes. It'll give you a little taste of iridology. Yes, I can't imagine trying to figure that out for, my, for myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, leave don't this try to, to figure the, it out. Leave it to the professionals, people. Um, so yes, I thought that was so fascinating when I sat down and you took the pictures of my eyes from different angles and then you blow them up real big on the computer, which is so fascinating to look at your eye. I mean, first of all, I always thought my eyes were hazel and that's, you know, I always called them hazel. Actually, I always called them the color of rotten guacamole, uh, but oh, <laughs> no, no. I never liked my eye color. But then, but then when you, you said, oh no, you have blue eyes, your eyes are blue. And, um, and they would, you know, sometimes I'd notice, sometimes they're more green, sometimes they're more blue. And two of my children have blue eyes, uh, bluish gray eyes. And I always thought maybe they came from uh, their grandmother on my husband's mother, but I guess I really do have blue eyes. So that was really fascinating. And I remember that you looked and you told me that we're looking at, you know, the brain through these, these brain fibers, which is incredible. And you said that mine were very fine and that that indicated that I came into the world with a, a good hearty constitution and with the ability to, I think you said heal, heal quickly or heal well. Does that, mm -hmm. would that sound about right? Yes. Heal quickly and bounce back from injury or illness. Mm -hmm. That was, um, that was really neat to know. So let, I'm going to just kind of share some of my experience and what you found for me. And then I, I think that, uh, that'll be just some good jumping off points of things that we could talk about. Um, so I already mentioned that you could tell that I, uh, you said, have, you look like you've had a lot of constipation at one time in your life. <laughs> and I just laugh <laughs> because I, I talk about poop here so much on the podcast. Like, it's because it's, I tell people when you are constipated for so much of your life, it's all you think about. It feels horrible. And, you know, all you wish you could do was go to the bathroom and it's, you know, not good for you. But, um, but then you could tell that that had, I'd overcome that and, um, and that that was better. So what, I mean, what were you looking at to be able to tell that? Well, there is a heavy line. In sclerology, there are some lines that show up in everyone. We all have, a, have lines for the kidneys, for the bowel, the ascending colon on the right side in the right eye, the descending colon in the left eye. And depending on the, the length of that line, you can see how the family tendency was. Was your mom a constipated person? Maybe your dad, maybe both. Maybe neither, but it's something in the dot. But then the heaviness of that line, if it's a heavy line that's almost a raised line, then you know that their bowel is holding a lot of waste. Mm. And then as that clears out, the line actually fades. And that's an improvement. The bowel's much cleaner. Okay, so that's what you saw in me. You did, uh -huh. you did mention that. You said it looked like on my mom's side, so I guess you would be seeing that in the left eye, that uh -huh. um, my mom's side of the family tends to be constipated, and that is, that is accurate, um, <laughs> and that my dad's side did not. So um, that was right on the money. Um, and then I was so happy to hear that you said my gut looked good and that I had overcome a leaky gut. And... Um, because I've done a lot of 
work on my gut over the years, you know, and, um, and so I think that's mm-hmm. a wonderful affirmation that I don't, that is something that would be hard to, to tell, um, otherwise. I, I, there are some, uh, blood tests you could take, um, maybe some stool tests to check zonulin, things like that, but that, that was wonderful that you could tell that. So what, what are you seeing there? Well, there are circulation lines in many people, not everyone, but many people show a circulation line that comes from the heart. And if the circulation line connects with the line from the bowel, there's a leaky gut situation. You have waste being reabsorbed through the bowel wall and getting into the bloodstream. So when that line no longer connects when it fades down and there's a break between the bowel line and the line coming from the heart, you know that the leaky gut has improved and is no longer a problem. That made me so happy to know. That's Um, good news. That's (laughs) very good news. (laughs) Yes, it was. Although you did find a little bit of yeast overgrowth, um, a little bit of candida. So what was that that told you that I had, that you could see that? Well, in a yeast overgrowth, it will look pinker. When you pull your lid down on the right or the left side and look up toward the ceiling, Just really pull it down and look up. You see that expanse of white. Right at the bottom, if there's a pinker area, not the lid, but in the white of the eye, there's a band of pink. And you can start at the iris and it looks whiter and then as it goes down, it looks pinker. That is a yeast overgrowth in the intestines. Now there's another marker that can appear anywhere in the body. If the yeast has been so bad for so long that it's beginning to turn into a fungal infection, that will look different. You can see that in the lungs, sometimes with sinuses, anywhere. But for most most of us, it's just a little pink band far down in the sclera below the irises. Okay. So, um, so that was good to know. So I'm working on that since you shared that with me. And another thing you could tell that, um, my lymph was a little stagnant and you asked me where you said you don't appear that, or it looks like you probably do not perspire much. You're not a big sweater. And that is (laughs) so true. And, um, and it was only recently that I, you know, I figured out before, um, with what you had told me and then some other studies I've been doing or just, you know, reading about not being much of a sweater can be a sign of um, a lymphatic issue. And that is so true. So what was it about what you could read that would show those things that my lymph was stagnant? Not, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. You tell I don't sweat much. (laughs) Well, blue eyed people tend to have more stagnation or congestion in the lymph, but you had a, a darker line on the outside edge of the iris, which shows that the skin does not eliminate waste easily. And that can aggravate the lymph congestion. Now, we can have lymph congestion even if we just perspire like everything. But in your eyes, the skin just does not eliminate waste easily, so that causes the lymph to be slower. Any kind of exercise moves the lymph because the lymph system, made up of the lymph nodes and the network and the spleen, they depend on muscle action to move this lymph through the system. So walking, anything we do, moving the muscles moves the lymph. But what I saw in your eyes was that little darker edge on the very outside edge of the iris. And we talked, you talked about, and I've shared that here with people too, that um, dry brushing is a good practice Uh for that. And then you mentioned some, um, some certain herbs that are helpful for moving the lymph. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, did you say red burdock? Uh, Burdock, red clover. Oh, red clover. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Turkey, turkey rhubarb is one of them. 
goodness, I depend on red clover and yellow dock more than anything. But red root, now it's a very strong herb, but in cases where I've worked with people who had hardened lymph nodes, I would dilute the red root and use it with some of the other herbs, but it helps to dissolve the hardened lymph. Okay. So red clover's a good one to use, though. It's a gentle herb, and even children can use red clover. Would that be in like a, a tincture type form or, uh-huh. or okay. a capsule or a capsule? Either so that's way. one thing that you do as well is recommend, um, well, dietary changes um, as needed, um, supplement um, additional, any supplements that could be helpful. And um, so it's really, uh, it just all comes together so well. Um, yes, it's you, not, you know. Pardon me a second. No, it's not help. It wouldn't be as helpful to tell someone this is what's wrong if you couldn't say, but you can use this to get better mm-hmm. or right. you can change this to get better. Right. You said um, earlier, and I had this in my notes too, that blue-eyed people tend toward lymph issues and brown-eyed people tend toward blood disorders. Is that in uh-huh. The really dark brown-eyed folks are called a true brown. And it's the darkest dark brown, almost like a black velvet in some people. They tend to high cholesterol. Very much do they tend to anemia. Mm -hmm. And they also tend to um, lymphatic type problems with the blood, lymphoma, that type of thing. But it doesn't mean they're going to have that. But anemia, high cholesterol, diabetes really runs much more in the really dark brown-eyed folks. There's a genetic combination of blue and brown that we call a mixed brown in iridology, and it's more of a golden brown. They're the folks that tend to indigestion. They have gallbladder trouble. They've never digested well, probably since they were little, and so they have constipation and more problems like that. But we do tend to do different things. With different eye color. Go ahead. No, uh, yeah, but w- uh, why? I mean, why would that be? I wonder. I'm not sure, but I wonder if it's not because of where we originated in the world. You know, the light-eyed folks a lot of times came from the northern European countries, the latitudes where there didn't need to be as much pigment in the eye to protect the eyes. They had more respiratory problems, lymphatic trouble. The closer to the equator, it seems like the folks that have more pigment in their eyes develop different types of problems. Now, why it would be blood disorders, I honestly don't know. I'm not sure we've ever had an answer to that. Hmm. Really interesting. But uh, I think that's a probably a pretty solid theory um, about why it would be, but that's really interesting. Um, so some other things that you could tell about me, you said my lungs were good and strong. You didn't see any breast problems, which was wonderful to hear. Um, You could detect tension in my shoulder. In fact, that came up several times, about two or three times, which is Uh so right on the money. I hold a lot of tension, especially in my left shoulder, which you also were able to note. But I mean, again, I just, how do you... (laughs) How do you see that? How do you see that? Well, if something is wrong in the body, even if it's just like this, it's not life-threatening, but it's uncomfortable, your eyes will show it in different areas. One thing, we had uh, what are con- called contraction furrows in the iris. They look like tree rings, just partial tree rings. That shows muscle tension in that area, and it's usually from a lack of calcium, magnesium, and potassium. If we don't have enough of those minerals, the muscles don't relax and contract easily. They'll hold a tension. Now, that, I saw that. We also saw in the sclera a line that showed that you may have some pain, some little pain vessels in that area. And then we saw in the spine itself that the, there was a misalignment that was causing some muscle tension and probably some nerve pain too. So with the muscles, 
the sclera outside of that muscle area, and then how the spine is aligned, that will show us the, the same information sometimes three different ways. So interesting. Now, I know one of the things I asked you when I came in, you know, as you said, you, you know, ask if there's any certain um, ailments or, or health conditions you're looking for. I would think that most people coming to you have something specific in mind. I mean, I really came in more general because I wanted to go through this process and, and just learn about it. And um, But I would think that you get a lot of people that are a little bit at a crossroads or hit a dead end maybe in conventional medicine. Is that true? Mm -hmm. I do. I certainly do. Some people know what's wrong, but they want to heal themselves, get well with natural things, and some people know something's wrong, but all their tests are normal. And I tell them, well, thank the Lord for that. It's always good to have normal tests, but when something is wrong, it's wrong, mm -hmm. and we need to find out what it is. The Most people do. They'll come in and say, oh, we've tried to conceive, you know, for three years, and we can't conceive a child. And we can see how the, the glandular system is working. And usually it's a little tiny something that needs to just be rebalanced. Sometimes it's the digestive situation. People take all kinds of medications for the, the stomach. And I think I read one time that the most common type of thing to buy over the counter was some sort of thing for indigestion or constipation. But, you know, it's one system from your mouth all the way down to the lower bowel. That is one system. And like you were saying, sometimes if you can just get the bowel moving every day, and there are good ways to do that, things that you can take forever if you wanted to, that would just help you to have a good bowel movement every day, a lot of digestive problems disappear at that point. But, yes, people do come in mostly with specific problems. What is, is there something that you would recommend that is safe to take uh, on a regular basis that's not in habit forming to help move the bowels? Well, the most common thing or the most likely thing that I would suggest because it is something you can take forever is a fiber supplement. Drink plenty of water. Some people are constipated because they don't drink enough water. But a good fiber supplement and magnesium oxide that's a form of magnesium that's good for the body, it's good for the lungs, the heart, the nervous system, the bones, the muscles, the bowels. And between the two, the fiber and the magnesium oxide, usually a person can just have a nice soft movement first thing in the morning and be finished with it. They're mm -hmm. good for the rest of the day. And that's non-habit forming. Yes, and also people could eat more vegetables. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Or an apple. You know, some yes. people just eat an apple every day. With some, right? Yes. With some people, too, it's a probiotic that they need so desperately. The friendly bacteria in the bowel is missing, and that disrupts the digestion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things, so you asked me if I had anything, um, and something that I, I you know, I have a not every time but I will sometimes get a hormonal headache as my cycle approaches and it um, you know it comes on it doesn't happen every time so that's kind of strange um, but sometimes uh -huh. I will get a three-day and it is a three-day every time that I do have it solid headache that it kind of feels like a sinus headache um, and so one thing that you recommended for me is feverfew uh -huh. And then you kind of explain the mechanism behind that, which I thought was really interesting. Will you share that? Yes. Uh, Beaverfew was, was actually named in the probably the, about the 1400s. It was used for immunity. As you can see, fewer fevers, feverfew. <laughs> but what it does is it keeps the platelets of the blood from sticking together. And in people who develop headaches from different reasons, but especially migraines, they usually have something called platelet aggregation. And this is not a blood clot, it's not that. 
But the platelets are some of the white cells that, invo that are involved in inflammation and immunity, very important in the body. But they should go through the blood free of one another, like birds or fish, together but not touching. If they hook together like little train cars and pass through the veins of the brain, the brain detects that and dumps serotonin real quickly. Now serotonin is that feel-good brain chemical we all want more of, but this time it doesn't feel good because the blood vessels in the brain respond to that by dilating. And in some people, that's the light anomaly they'll have before a migraine or a blind spot, odd feelings. Soon after that, the migraine starts. Now, there's always, there are always other factors. There may be allergies, hormone imbalance, stress, maybe the neck's out of alignment. Other things can contribute. But if you can stop the platelets from sticking together, it stops the headache. And this is what feverfew does. It's an amazing little herb. It works on all sorts of headaches, but it especially works on the really bad ones. Mm. Oh, that's so good to know. Um, because I know, you know, for most people, when you're just feeling so bad and you just, I know people that really want to try to approach health in a holistic way, um, but when you're in, in pain and you just, you kind of you want to grab the ibuprofen <laughs> you well, know I understand I do and I tell people you know if you have these headaches very often just take two fever few capsules every morning when you brush your teeth just put it by your toothbrush so you won't forget it now you can't take it when you're pregnant and I never have determined why that is the case but most people two fever few a day can stop those headaches from ever forming so it's not a matter of, oh gosh, I've got to deal with this horrendous pain. Because at that point, you really do. Mm -hmm. It's horrendous. But if you can stop it from ever happening, that's the real goal. Yes, yes. So I got me some fever few. <laughs> it's <laughs> wonderful. That, that is in my, my medicine cabinet now. Another thing we talked about, I think that you saw some thyroid weakness on my mom's side and I don't I don't think that I was developing that um but we we had a conversation about iodine um nonetheless uh -huh. that was um I thought was very interesting and I had just started taking it you recommended if I was not taking iodine to take it and I had just started taking it and I did not realize how energizing iodine is um, noticeable increase in my energy when I started taking it. So would you talk more about just the importance of iodine? And, and I'm sure you don't remember exactly what we talked about, but I'm sure you talk about this with most people. <laughs> that okay. it, you know, Many of them. Yeah, okay. about iodine and it's, and it's kind of what it does for us and, and that kind of thing. Okay. Iodine is one of the main minerals, really, that we need in the body. It comes from seafood and seaweeds, it comes from the sea. Now the iodine, what it does in the body, different forms of iodine work in different parts of the body. There's one form that works great for the breast, one form that's better for the thyroid. And you can find formulas of different types of iodine. But even one type, like potassium iodide or different different forms will work because your body will use what it has and the body is so amazing if it is deficient in a nutrient and you put that nutrient back it's like oh look look what we've got let's use it so what iodine does though it feeds the thyroid that's the main thing it does and the thyroid affects literally everything in the body the energy, the way we think, our moods, the clarity of our thinking. It affects the energy production in the cells. It helps to balance the hormones so that the cycles are right in women or that the testosterone is correct in the men. It also helps to fight viruses. And many of the autoimmune diseases we're becoming 
more cognizant of the fact that many of them come from viruses. And iodine is one of the main nutrients that will help to fight a, a long-standing virus in the body. So if you feed the thyroid, the thyroid can support the adrenal glands, the ovaries, the testes, the thymus gland, which is a major player in the immune system. It's vitally important. Now, when I was in natural healing school 30 years ago, we were taught to use no more than one milligram of iodine. And honestly, I never saw anybody get better with that. But there you were. Well, about the year 2000, I was at a conference, and we had heard a speaker from one of the European countries, Italy or France or England, I don't remember where he was from, but he spoke about using as much as 100 milligrams of iodine for thyroid problems. We couldn't believe it. We Americans, we had never heard of such. And that's an, a very high amount, don't do that. But what we found then was there's a whole world of research that's opened up that has researched countries like Japan where they eat so much seafood and so much seaweed that their diet contains as much as 40 milligrams of iodine every day just in what they eat. Wow. Well, there are different types of cancers that don't show up in those cultures. There are different, you know, different types of problems that, we, that they're just not getting. So that really opened up some new information on iodine. And we know that we've got to have iodine. We're so far from the sea, we're more likely to have it from a supplement than we are from seafood because it's harder for us to get seafood in West Texas unless you just make a big effort and find a good <laughs> store. I mean, a good store that has it. But That is true. <laughs> it is essential to the body and to the hormone balance, to the energy and to the immunity. You know, one thing I think about is, this is kind of a sidebar, but when I think of these things our body needs, okay, like iodine, and we know that it is a high amount of it is found in, say, seafood, you know, but I'm always wondering, okay, if God made our bodies to need this, and obviously not every, some people are going to live in the middle of West Texas, you know, some of us are kind of landlocked, and um, and so we're not going to get as much, you know, I, I, I feel like he puts things that we need, no matter where we're going to live, it's going to be provided in nature somehow, um, and that we should be able to, to get enough, but, some, you know, sometimes there's this, I don't know, do you ever think about that? <laughs> Yes, I do. I really do. And do you know that, uh, and I, this is not a dietary supplement, but I know you've all picked up pecans. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it would have a green hull. Even if the pecan had fallen, the hull would be a little bit, still a little bit wet. And it would stain the ends of your fingers. That's a type of iodine. Oh, really? Black walnut hulls. Now, we, you, sometimes you see black walnut trees in West Texas, but they are high in iodine, just the hull part that, that holds the nut as it grows. That's one of the herbs that we use, black walnut hulls, to kill parasites. Very interesting. So there are foods that are iodine-rich, but they're not things that we'd be likely to eat. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure what the answer is in West Texas <laughs> yeah. as far as what, you know, what it would be that would be something right. that would I, be a dietary thing. Yeah. God, where's our iodine in West Texas? <laughs> That's it. That's I, it. You have to wonder. <laughs> yeah. But I do, you know, I feel like that there's, I'm sure there's, there, well, there's a lot of things we don't know about that kind of thing. But I, I do believe that whatever our the needs of our body are, you know, God's going to account for that and account for our environments and the places we're going to live and that there has to be something in nature available. We may not realize it. We may not realize the, the synergistic way certain things work together that provide that need. But I, I do, but I do feel that way. I feel like he's not going to, you know, make our bodies need iodine and then be like, well, <laughs> too bad for too you. Bad for you <laughs> live in West Texas, you know. <laughs> I do Sorry. not believe that. I think his, 
So his, pro- his provision is much greater than that. Right, right. And, and I do think, you know, I know that, um, is it, is it the, is it bromide um, that blocks the uptake of iodine? There, there's things in our, our, our diet now, more in the, of the processed uh-huh. nature and chemicals and things that block that, the uptake of iodine. And so it, it's like there's a, a greater need for it, too, because of the way our bodies are um, not able to assimilate it well because of, you know, a, if you're eating the standard American diet, you're not going to be getting enough intake, but your your body is also not going to be able to use it. So I think there's that going on too, is that we're not helping ourselves utilize what we what we may be getting. Um, but another thing, you know, with iodine, I know that I have been highly cautioned when suggesting iodine for people, uh, especially somebody that might have a an autoimmune thyroid condition. Um, because it can, it can be problematic, but it's, it feels like iodine is what the person would need. But do you, what is your take on that? Well, you know, uh, we always want to be cautious, but I haven't found it to be a problem thus far. I would use a tiny amount of iodine. You know, a kelp capsule, just the chopped up kelp in a capsule, would provide about 150 micrograms of iodine, which is, goodness, 15% of a milligram. So that's a small amount of iodine. Mm -hmm. But I know that without iodine, the thyroid will not function correctly. It will produce nodules. The thyroid can be overactive from an iodine deficiency. It can be underactive from an iodine deficiency. And I'm not telling your your listeners to go out and take a bunch of iodine, but they need to speak to someone because without that iodine, I haven't seen the thyroid get really balanced and better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, I was just going to say, autoimmune diseases are another thing. Go ahead and finish your thought, and then I'd like to say something no, about it. No, no, I wasn't, no, I don't, it was nothing. Please, please go okay. on. Okay, I do not believe the Lord ever created our body so that it would attack itself. And I know that is the, the thought in the medical world right now, that some part of the body attacks itself. I don't believe that ever happens. What is happening, in my estimation, is that there's usually a virus and the immune system is attacking that virus. It's not that the body's attacking itself. The immune system in the body is attacking that virus in that tissue and by fighting the virus, and in many, we have many things in natural healing that fight viruses. And it aggravates me to turn on the news and they say, we have nothing that fights viruses. Hello? (laughs) Which side (laughs) of the fence are you on? Not true. A lot of herbs and nutrients fight viruses. So once you fight that virus and help the body fight the virus, the body stops attacking that part of the body. Or that's what they think. I just don't believe it. I don't believe the body's created to attack itself. I agree with you. Um, and one thing I always say is that, you know, the, the bo- your body is always on your side. You know, that's yes, the way that we're designed. And, and it's um, got that inherent knowledge of healing. That's how, you know, God put that inside of us. Our body knows how to heal when it's given what it needs to do so. Yes. And so I agree with you. I think that will... I think that will come out more over the years. But I think, I um, yeah, that idea that viruses can kind of burrow into tissues and, and lie dormant and then yes. be reawakened and mm-hmm. um, correct. I mean, that's kind yes, of how they definitely. work. Uh-huh, they do. And if you, any kind of stress, if you're worried about anything, it's going to lower your immunity. The virus may kick in. And on a, you know, aggravating but not deadly scale, 
mouth sores, herpes, herpes simplex, which is the fever, fever blisters people mm -hmm. get. You know, they get too tired, that comes on again. If they get too stressed, that comes on again. If their body's fighting a cold, maybe, they'll have an outbreak. So it's the same sort of thing, but it's a different type of virus that can, like you say, burrow into different tissues. Mm -hmm. and, and the body tries to attack that virus. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh. So interesting. But, you know, back to the iodine, it, it did, when I added that to my uh, most recent supplement uh, regimen, uh -huh. it is it's like, bling, like my brain woke up. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's really it good. is wonderful. I was like, this is awesome. Um, so I, I'm enjoying iodine. That's for sure. Good. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, gosh, I feel like I could keep you on here all day. This is absolutely fascinating. This is just incredible. Um, I know that people are going to be like, I want to do this. <laughs> I, I want to do this. So I know that you've shared um, a good way that you can, that somebody could look up uh, somebody that is um, certified or I don't, I don't know they're quite their terminology. Uh -huh. they're but certified. Um, in iridology, but can you work with people virtually if somebody wanted to, if they didn't live in West Texas, if they didn't have the, the good fortune to live out here in landlocked West Texas, <laughs> could somebody work with you virtually? It is. Could somebody work with you virtually? Yes, definitely. I have, um, I have worked with folks who sent me their pictures and the pictures were taken with one of the new cell phones. And it gives us really amazingly good pictures. Not as good as my iridology camera, but very good and very workable pictures. And there's a way that I'll need them to take the pictures so that we get the irises straight on and then all the quadrants of the white, you know, pull the lid down and look up or pull the upper lid way up and look down at the floor and just if we can get all of those areas of the white and the irises, I can work with that. We can do a phone consultation, and I'd love to do that. That would give us a little more latitude as far as the distances that are between us. Yes. So how would somebody um, go about finding you or contacting you to do that? Okay, let's see. In Odessa, my office is in Odessa. My phone number is 432 333-9702, that's the office. And um, I have a website called Iridology, I-R-I-D-O-L-O-G-Y, Angel, A-N-G-E-L, all one word, all lowercase, dot com. The phone number, uh, my website, that's there's great. my website, I was going to give you my email, yeah, eyeballs. <laughs> E-Y-E-B-A-L-L-S at A-T-T dot net. That's, thank I you. loved it. When you gave me your email address, eyeballs, I thought that was uh -huh. pretty funny. Um, <laughs> so for all the listeners, I will put all of this information in the show notes. And so in case somebody's driving or walking and hearing this, um, you can go back to the show notes and I'll put all of um, Dr. Rebecca's contact information there. Um, so that's fantastic. Um, before I let you go today, I have to ask you the anchor questions. I ask all of okay. my guests because I think everybody's interested in, number one, um, knowing what your go-to healthy meal is. So what would you consider your anchor meal? The anchor meal that we seem to usually have ready or about to cook is pinto beans and cornbread. And... A lot of people don't like pinto beans, but I think it's because they don't cook them long enough. <laughs> you have to. You have to soak them overnight and then cook them all day long in the crock pot. And we put chili powder, cumin, garlic, and onion, and then make a pan of cornbread, and there's nothing better than mm. that. <laughs> That's it's wonderful. That is. My mom, I grew up with my mom making beans and cornbread. Mm -hmm. um, yes, and I do mine in the um, in my pressure cooker. Oh, and that works. Yeah, that and works. so they turn out really well. But I have spoken here about the importance of soaking your 
soaking your beans, beans um, to help break down mm -hmm. some of those elements that um, would impede digestion. Mm -hmm. So that's good. So are you a vegetarian? No, not completely. We don't eat beef and we don't eat pork, but we do eat chicken and turkey. And we have a lot of plants otherwise. We try to do a green drink every day because of the antioxidants and the alkalizing effect that the veggies and fruits have on, on the stomach and the intestines and the whole body. Do you make a smoothie or do you do like a green juice? Well, we've done smoothies, we've juiced carrots. We, right now we're using something called Perfect Food by Garden of Life. It's an incredibly fine powder of greens that have been juiced and dried into a powder. And it's, you just put a scoop in water, we put a little protein in with it and have it with breakfast. Ah, my husband That's will be sad to know that you don't eat beef. He's a grass-fed cattle cattle. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's okay. Listen, I always tell people here, everybody, you know, you know that's what works for your body. Um, uh -huh. And so everybody's difference going to be, everybody's body is going to be a little differently varied. Um, you know, I tell people my, my kind of the philosophy or my compass, the anchor that I use as far as you know, eating is just really going to Genesis 129 and Genesis 9-3. God gave us plants. God gave us animals. The the balance of how people include them in their diet, I think, you know, can be different. The needs, um, you know, just a lot of people have guts that are not working right. And so that may necessitate a, a more plant-based diet. But for some people, it's more animal-based for a while until they get their guts being able to handle um, all the fiber and, and mm -hmm. all the good veg to break down. But, um, but I, I agree with you. I don't mm -hmm. have a thing against beef, nothing against it. It's just that it doesn't work for us mm -hmm. <laughs> at yeah. our house. So Yeah, I but think it's just still different for everybody. But that's beans true. and cornbread. I love that anchor meal. That's oh, awesome. Oh, that's wonderful. And do you know, for a quick meal, if I just do not have time to sit down and eat lunch, what I will have is an egg. You can scramble an egg in two minutes flat or even do it, I do it over hard. I don't like the runny eggs. But an egg will hold me all afternoon. I can feel just perfectly fine on just one egg. And I think it's because the, the protein and the fat is so perfectly balanced yes. in an egg. Eggs are absolutely a a go-to for me. I eat them often. We have chickens and um, oh, just, you do yes, wonderful. Love so healthy, fresh. healthy eggs. Yes, yes, and you can tell. Good. You know, the yolk is so much more orange and oh, um, so they rich. They smell good. Mm -hmm. They even smell different. Yes, they're so good. They're so good. Um, okay, and finally, what is your anchor verse? Just a Bible verse that is kind of your life verse, or one that you are leaning into particularly, um, you know, a, a little bit more at this time, either way. Well, right at this time, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. And I, I saw this, this particular translation. It said, God promises to make something good out of the storms that bring devastation to our lives. We hold on to that. Through our whole life, even as children, we have hard times and things that happen and we think, how can this ever turn into a blessing? But I look back, and this is one of the neat things about being this age, is that I look back and see how God took care of me and took care of things over and over and over. And He continues to. Yes, he does. It, that is comforting, and um, especially during these times we're in. They're a little tumultuous. Yes. It's been a, a tumultuous year. but um, It's been hard. Mm -hmm. yeah. But the Lord is in charge, and he can see all those things that we cannot, and we just have to trust and have faith in that he will work things out um, to his will. And, um, yes, to, to his will. To his glory. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate well, that. Well, thank you. And thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. This has just been a, a wonderful 
fascinating, interesting. I think I've used those words at least uh, 20 times during this well, conversation. Well, I'm honored <laughs> to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. I loved it. It's. Um, I hope that everybody else um, has enjoyed it. I think. I think they will. And again, I will put all of uh, Dr. Rebecca's information in the show notes. And um, please let us know if you have any questions. Um, and as always, I thank you all for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week, and I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.